HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by White Oak Pastures, a five-generation Georgia-based beef and poultry farm determined to conduct business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. It's a rainy day here in Brooklyn, and it is really nice and warm here in the studio, so I can't wait to get into it with a recently new buddy of mine from Washington, D.C., Adam Birnbach, bar director for pretty much every cocktail bar you could think of in D.C., as it it turns out. Welcome to the show, Adam. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Awesome. So, uh, so I've uh, hung out with you a couple times over the last six months down in D.C. at, at Two Birds, One Stone, uh, mostly. But uh, you're also the bar director for Estadio, amongst other places. I mean, you're 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 a very busy guy there. I, I, I do I do uh, have a, have a bit going on, yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, like uh, I, I don't know how D.C. is. I mean, I well, it seems a little a little more relaxed than. Uh, New York, but I'm always just visiting there. I'm never working there. But I always say about New York, you know, it's not a vacation town, so it's good to keep busy. And you definitely seem to be uh, subscribing to that, you know. Yeah, absolutely, really. Yeah. So, yeah. so what's your what's your typical workday like? Um, generally, I get into. Uh, I live very close to Two Birds One Stone, mm-hmm. so normally I, I kind of just function as, as have that function as my base. Um, and then uh, I do most of my work there, and uh, I jump over to one of the outlets, either simply going upstairs to the Southeast Asian restaurant in Bowmoy, or I'll go down the street to Estadio, or uh, go to Chinatown uh, for birth. Yeah. And just sort of pop in. Yeah. I mean, like, it's kind of awesome that you have the uh, the, the cocktail lounge underneath the uh, uh, other, uh, under Um and you know, like it kind of it kind of reminds me a lot of like the way my my bars or the ones I run are set up here where there's they're very close proximity and I think if they were spread out anymore there's no way I could do it man um, and you know again you know I live in the neighborhood that I work in and that's kind of 
not, it's not really a happy accident, you know. It's like I, I wanted to be close to work, and I've been, you know, there so long, and it just makes sense. But I think, like, uh, you know, D.C. is such a cool, um, kind of a unique kind of bar and restaurant scene. Very, for what I've noticed, I've only been there a couple of times, but it is kind of tight that way. You know, there's, it's, it's all, it kind of seems like it's all in pretty much in, like, the closer proximity, like, one kind of, like, a couple of different neighborhoods, you know, like, on, like, 14th mm-hmm. Street, and, like, there's just, like, a lot of, a lot of action in one place, and it, it kind of reminds me of, like, you know, neighborhoods in New York where you can kind of, you know, like here you can go to PDT and Death and Company and Myowell and like all these great places and you've only really covered like a few blocks on foot, you know, and it, I think that's what's really cool about DC. I mean, like, you know, in the same way, like a lot of people don't drive there, you know, you can get around with public, uh, public transportation or by bicycle or whatever. So it's, you actually can go out and like enjoy yourself without having to worry too much about uh being physically uh injured or or worse or, or you know or anything that you know getting into legal uh nonsense with you know driving you know so that's pretty cool i like that about that that town um how did you uh, first of all you know i kind of I'm kind of jumping ahead and kind of gushing about the neighborhood but uh how did you actually get into bartending? Like, what, what led you to this? I mean, were you doing this, like, through school? Or, like, was this something that just all of a sudden you are like, oh, my God, I, I, I want to be a bartender, you know? Like, what, what led you to the point that – how did you get to where you are now, basically? Well, I uh, – uh, so I, I mostly grew up in, uh, in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, um, which is a, a big kind of big resort area. Um, so a lot of the, the jobs that you have are, are, are in and around food service and hospitality. Uh, so even when I, was, when I was a kid, I, I worked in, in that kind of industry. Um, and I just got to really enjoy the energy. Um, and then when I moved down here to D.C., I was still in high school, and uh, I got a job at a, at a coffee roastery uh, right by my high school. Oh, cool. Uh, as a roastery, yeah. And, uh, and I learned how to taste through that. Because um, the big thing is, you know, after you finish roasting a batch, or, or actually all of your batches, you, you line them up and you cut them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I spent a lot of time, because it was my job, studying sort of the nuances of, of coffee. And I, through that, I got into, um, illicitly, <laughs> I got into uh, certain things like uh, wine and, and beer and uh, single malt scotch, which were sort of big at the time in the... Uh, in the, the fancier wine and spirit shops are in the area. Yeah. And that's sort of how I got into to, to spirits and cocktails uh, through that. So you basically... It was, it, was de- it was definitely the energy of, uh, of being in a bar and in a restaurant that I, I really loved. I, I totally agree with that. You know, it's crazy to me, though. Like, you, so that means you were actually, like, exercising and training your palate from very, very... You had, a, you had like, a huge head start on a lot of us, you know? That's, that's pretty incredible. I mean, I was drinking, like, I was working at a grocery store when I started drinking coffee, and I was, like, 15 or 16, and it was just, who knows, it was, like, some sort of, I think if it were freeze-dried Folgers crystals, that would have been, like, a good thing. Uh, there's no telling what they were putting in it, but uh, it was definitely not a way to train my palate, too. <laughs> it probably took years off of my training, uh, as it turns out, later on. <laughs> um so that's cool. So you, uh, so, and that's that's an incredibly hip job to have while you're in high school. By the way, you're working at a coffee roaster. I mean, like, I mean, like, I only envision that happening in like Portland. You know, 
<laughs> like in high school, working in a coffee roaster, doing cuppings. You know, like that's crazy, dude. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty rad. Nice. So then you, you when you uh, you continued working in in restaurants because you because you really enjoyed the vibe of it. I hear that. You know, I, there's a certain energy and buzz that happens when. Uh, when everything's like flowing really correctly and like everyone's having a great time, it's just, it's mm-hmm. really great. And, you know, and it's more, I find it to be like a little bit more challenging sometimes or like even more rewarding to just play host, you know, and make sure that someone's having uh, just the best time. You know, I always say that like the last thing you should think about as a bartender is making drinks, you know, you got to be like the guy who's like showing everyone a really good time. And uh, the, the last thing, you know, that if, you know, you shouldn't be behind the bar if you don't know how to make drinks. I mean, so like it should come naturally, like right there at the end. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, my God, this is the perfect experience. So that's cool that you get to uh, experience all those things. So uh, at such a young age, you know, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people don't really get to uh, don't really get to do that. So that's crazy. That's cool. Um, so moving into wine and single malt scotches. Were you, when you first started working with, uh, you know, spirits and, and wine and all, was it, were you doing many cocktails? I mean, were you, or was it like a lot of like, like just straight whiskeys and, and wine pairings and stuff like that? No, actually, I, I wasn't doing much in the way of cocktails. Because um, even, even though I was, I was tasting wine and tasting spirits, I didn't really drink in any real way. Um, I was sort of, I was interested in, in, the the idea of of, of face fixing malt scotch is that sort of the distillation of a process of, of like someone made that or a group of people made that um, it just completely fascinated me um, and I didn't really get into the idea of mixing it until uh, much much later because I, I would say I mean we're almost seventeen eighteen at the time when I first started kind of tasting this stuff um, and then. It wasn't until I, I had been a bar manager at two places, and I became the bar manager at a, a very sort of forward-looking. Uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of choke on myself here when I say this, but a more kind of molecular gastronomy-tinged restaurant. <laughs> it's okay, uh, buddy. <laughs> we all went through it, man. <laughs> yeah, we did. Uh, it was 2007. <laughs> Crazy years, um, and you know, doing things that that involve you know sodium chloride and all that kind of jazz. Uh, or uh, calcium. That that's when uh, I, I kind of more, more heavily got into cocktails. Yeah, uh, they were they were they were terrible, but but that's <laughs> when I started. So you kind of went. Uh, so would you think? Do you think that like you got into it with the more modern style cocktails, and then kind of like worked your way back into the classics? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And uh, it, it was it it was. Kind of the, the 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 understanding that that what I was doing was real real bad. <laughs> uh, well, I got it. I mean, this is my job, uh, and and I I I started getting into it a lot more into the classics, and and I I went very heavily into the classics at that point, uh, sort of as kind of a natural culture activity because that wasn't really necessarily what was asked of me at, at the job, um, and I really really enjoyed it. Um, and that's that's how I truly got into cocktails. So this is like 2007, 2008. This is like this is when you know House Alpins is starting to release, uh, you know, the Creme de Violette and Allspice mm-hmm. Graham, all these ingredients that we hadn't had access to, and a lot of people didn't even know what what they were or that they ever existed. You know, um, mm-hmm. so this is starting to hit the market. 
we we started seeing a lot of like resurgence of like you know well first of all the current field led ushered back in the aviation um but were mm-hmm. there i guess with the molecular side you were already kind of kind of making your own syrups and doing like a lot of prep work uh, a lot of like maybe too many ingredients in one drink <laughs> but but you're probably using some of the uh the flavors and different like spices and stuff that ended up coming out later in some of these uh kind of more obscure liqueurs right yeah no it, it, it's in 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 yeah in sort of a parallel way that's that's very true um and i think that later on when when i kind of got back into the more uh, for lack of a word, culinary side, uh, that having that, that that those sort of parallel experiences definitely informed how I did it later on. Yeah. Really. Did you think that there was a? Uh, I don't know. I, I kind of like you know. I there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with molecular gastronomy or molecular mixology. But um, do you think that uh, certain places like like the aviary in Chicago or, you know, any number of like West coast cocktail bars. Do you think that, that people are over it or do you think it's just something that should be kind of like more special and it doesn't have to be everywhere? I mean, or do, what's your take on that? I mean, I think, I don't think it's, it's any, any better or worse than any other experience. I think it's a different experience and, mm-hmm. and there's a, I mean, obviously, a place like Avery is it's a very high quality. I mean, sure. Dax, very. I mean, these are, and I think they would. I, I think they, they themselves would, would probably take issue with that term, molecular gastronomy or market mythology. Um, I, I think they're uh, they're very very forward looking places, mm-hmm. um, and and I think they're exceptional in their way. It's just sort of not to say that they're any more or less exceptional than uh, a place that that functions in a more classic uh, way. Yeah, um, it's just different. Yeah, sure. I totally agree with that. Um, over the last few years, I've been, I've been noticing that it's not, it's not like the molecular thing kind of like has initially died out. It's just you don't see it so much anymore. But it's because I think people are being more responsible with it, and mm. just in the same way that you know a lot of like what we think of as like West Coast style, like you know, garden in a glass style cocktails. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's like one or two too many ingredients. I think a lot of times with the molecular mixology thing, there were one or two too many techniques that were being employed in one cocktail where, you know, like if you, I don't know, I, just, I work this way a lot. Like I, I'm, I'm really heavily into, you know, classics, but I like to, mm-hmm. you know, throw little twists in there. Like I like to find an ingredient and, and then work it into a classic that makes sense, you know, or like some sort of variation on a classic, you know what I mean? But like not mm-hmm. using... I want to highlight that weird ingredient that that makes it read well on a menu. You know, when I go to a cocktail bar or any bar really, and I look at the cocktail list, I'm always scanning. You know, there's only there's only so many ways you can mix rye and brandy and Benedictine. You know, I mean, there's well, there, there, there's a, there's a lot of them actually. But the thing is, I'm always looking for that weird like you know, Mexican fernet or, you know, like, you know, some, some like oddball thing that I'm like, all right, wait, or like Pinot de Chirot, you know, like the Beagle used to have this Pinot de Chirot cocktail on and it was a perfect example of it because it was basically like a sidecar ish, if I remember correctly, but it had Pinot de Chirot in it. And I was like, I freaking love Pinot de Chirot. I've never seen anyone using a cocktail. And I had just gotten back from cognac. So I was like, it was fresh on my mind, you know? And, uh, 
I was like, this is great. And, you know, it was just that one ingredient that was swapped out that made it jump out on the page. And I think just in the same way, like we're talking about, like just a second ago about the tech, the, like the techniques, you know, there's, you know, there, there are so many really amazing techniques you can use and like molecular, molecular mixology. It's just, you don't have to do all of them for every cocktail. And I think that's what we've really seen over the past few years. It's like, all right, we were really excited because someone wrote a book about this or like there were several books that came out and I went to like tales of the cocktail and I saw like Dave Arnold doing this crazy stuff. Uh-huh. But then we got like overly excited about it, you know, and we started trying to use it all the time. And I think, you know, like you have to be responsible with ingredients and with techniques and you have to use them correctly. And I think that's kind of, I think it's all evened out now, you know, as far as like the way people are using like the molecular oh. side. Well, I, I think, I mean, and I don't think it's limited to molecular or culinary. I mean, I think if you look at I keep saying the, molecular, the but classical yeah. bars too. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the biggest development uh, over the past few years uh, is, is, has been, as a community, our ability to edit ourselves. Um, I mean, obviously, people have been doing it exceptionally well for a long time, but I think overall, I think uh, a lot of the cocktail bars that are, that are existing now and are opening up just are, are very good at, at, at editing their drinks and editing their lists. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're having really sort of clean, uh, well-balanced, beautifully concepted cocktails. Yeah, and more cohesive menus, as, mm-hmm. as it turns out. Yeah, I would yeah, absolutely agree. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's there's got to be, uh, my opinion, with a really well-balanced cocktail menu, there has to be a, at least one banana cocktail on there. <laughs> which we'll talk about when we get back from this break. Okay, Adam? Oh, sounds fantastic. All right, see you in a minute. is the only farm in the United States that has its own USDA-inspected red meat abattoir or slaughterhouse and its own USDA-inspected poultry abattoir or slaughterhouse. We partner with Whole Foods to deliver our high-quality meat and poultry from Miami, Florida, all the way to Princeton, New Jersey. One family, one farm, five generations, 145 years. A full circle return to sustainable land stewardship and humane animal stockmanship. For more information, please visit our website, whiteoakpastures.com. And we are back. You are listening to The Speakeasy on heritageradionetwork.org or .com. It goes to the same place. Um, so we are talking with Adam Birnbach out of D.C., the bar director for so many places. Um, Doi Moy, uh, Two Birds, One Stone, Estadio, Proof. Um, and right before we went on the break, I threw out, you know, you were talking about well-balanced cocktails and well-balanced menus, but come on, let's get real. Banana cocktails. 
I mean, like you said to me the first time I met you, um, and it blew my mind because uh, you're like, yeah, I've got like two banana cocktails on the menu right now, and I was like, what? It's crazy. <laughs> And it wasn't like a huge menu, but you you said you know kind of quoting uh, Arrested Development, "There's always money in the banana cocktail," <laughs> and that was the funniest thing I've ever heard. Um, so yeah, I you know I agree. I think that's what like that's I, you said that like three sentences into us meeting, and I I'm pretty sure we're bonded for life because of that. So uh, tell me about your banana cocktail obsession, man. Yeah, you know, I think it it, it came uh, uh, a little little middle finger aspect to it. Um, there's a lot of people that I know who actively dislike or or, or hate even uh, the idea of banana or banana in anything, um, and and I enjoy the idea of a challenge of, of making a banana cocktail that that would be popular, um, that would be uh, a highlight. Um, and so, I, so I set out to do it, and uh, I spent a lot of time on it. And it was, uh, I was, I mean, I personally love bananas, so so it was, it was, it was not a not a challenge that I I, I, I didn't I didn't hesitate with. Yeah, I mean, while you were like doing like coffee cuppings in high school, I was driving around in my first car with like a giant bucket of banana laffy taffies in my past, like my they're riding shotgun in my car. Oh, yeah, I used to just like. Eat banana laffy taffies and drive around and like read the jokes while I should have been focusing on paying attention to the road. Um, but yeah, like the thing is, I guess with I don't know, it depends. There's so many different ways to access the banana flavor. Some of them are very good and some of them are very artificial. But mm-hmm. I think anytime you do like a, a legit banana cocktail, you kind of have to uh, you kind of have to do it. It's very DIY. I, there's you know, there's one, there's like the Jaffard, uh, mm-hmm. Banana Brazil, mm-hmm. but it's it's almost like it's got this like creme brulee thing going on, which is cool in, in any kind of application where you're mixing it with different like spices and stuff. It works, but it doesn't work for everything, you know, even though their liqueurs are pretty awesome. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, but then then you've got like, you know, like one of my bartenders, Garrett Richard, he, he does uh, a banana liqueur that he, he takes... I believe it's El Dorado three, mm-hmm. and uh, infuse it with just like dried banana chips, and they puff out, and then like they infuse really very strongly, and uh, and then you get to eat the poofed out like rum soaked bananas. So that's pretty sweet, or use them as a garnish. But yeah, so I, I think that the banana flavor, even though to me banana is such a subtle, like it's a softer flavor, and it really is. It's not sharp. It's not acidic. It's not like huge, but for some reason, it's kind of like when you put, um, let's say, like, I don't know. I, I'm kind of a, a hater on orange juice because like, anytime you put orange juice in a cocktail, it just makes the whole thing taste like orange to me. Mm-hmm. You know? But banana, I think there's a lot more room to play with, you know? And uh, especially, you know, like I said, using baking spices like the Banana Brazil stuff or I there's there's a banana cocktail on the ZZ's clam bar menu now that's it's just called banana and it has like banana infused tequila it has like blue curacao which is also an awesome ingredient um but it has like there's this like dehydrated banana powder like garnish like there's so many elements of banana in this cocktail it's awesome but like so like anyway i i kind of trailed off there for a second but yeah banana cocktails you're the man with the banana cocktails so (laughs) 
I think one of them was even a beer cocktail, right? I'm sorry? Do you have I, – I, I seem to recall there being a banana beer cocktail. Yeah, the, one of them is uh, – so it's uh, the uh, the silver oat whiskey from High West, um, uh, Amaro, uh, Amaro Nardini. Uh, it's uh, Einger Bravice, a Hoffeweizen, and, uh, and a banana soda that we make. That's awesome. You know, like to me, there's always that classic, like when you're drinking like a Weinstefaner or any kind of like old school, like – uh, Hefeweizen. There's always that banana mm-hmm. flavor in there, anyway. So it's so brilliant to just like, just like roll with that, you know, and really highlight it. I love that. Yeah, that and I think the, the silver oat has kind of, uh, um, it has has this weird sort of. I mean, it has a lot of tropical flavors, but the banana that's in it is sort of this very crystalline banana flavor. Uh, it it almost. I mean, it it, it borders on on possibly artificialness, like a banana runt. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't quite get there, and, and so yeah, it was. I definitely used that and the Hafervitsa to to add two other banana notes to it, uh, even if they weren't actually banana. It's awesome, man. So like, so let me ask you this: so when mm-hmm. when you um, your process on putting together a cocktail, like from the moment of inspiration to the moment that you actually shake it, stir it, send it across the bar. What mm-hmm. what typically? How do you start your process? Do you start with an ingredient, or do you start with, for instance, like a like oh you, like like I'll wake up sometimes. You know, a lot of, I get a lot of my cocktail ideas like in my sleep, and I'll wake up and I had a dream about a cocktail that I was making, and I had like you know three ingredients that were mixed together, and it's like all right, mm-hmm. one of them was kind of weird, and the other two were kind of like kind of normal, but then mm-hmm. I'll go to the bar like when I when I go into the bar that day, it's like. Then I'll I'll workshop it, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, but then sometimes like I'll start with just it. I find some weird ingredient, and then it's like, all right, we're just gonna go from there. Like, do you do you typically start with the ingredient? Do you start with like a classic spec, or like what's your what's your process? Or does it is it different for? I mean, it must be different for. It could be a really dumb question that I'm asking because <laughs> I'm sure it comes in a lot of different styles, right? It. it, it... Yeah, it depends on on where I am or what I'm doing it for. Uh, more often than not, it, it starts with uh, a specific spirit that I really like and I really want to use. Um, and there there's some aspect of that uh, that spirit, and and more often than not, there's multiple aspects of, of that spirit and kind of manifests itself in multiple cocktails that I want to highlight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it it could be. Uh, the smokiness of, uh, of, of a particularly peaty scotch. Um, it could be the, uh, the 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 kind of the reedy funk of, uh, of a rum agricole. Um, it could be, I mean, Barolo Canado, something that I, I just absolutely love. Right. And I love different Barolo Canados, and, and to, to sort of display one that's more chamomile heavy, one that's more of a, a jarring sharp uh, sharp kind of uh, quinineness. Uh, yeah, anything like that. Uh, but sometimes, yeah, it's like for for Stadio, that definitely when we, when we opened that and, and the development of that menu, um, that changed a lot of things because I, I had I didn't have as much space uh, for for spirits and I had to go a little bit more culinary, uh, a little more DIY, um, and then it became using a lot more, uh, I guess, Spanish culinary ingredients uh, and how those can highlight spirits. Yeah, so yeah. that sort of reversed the process. Yeah, and you know, Studio is so good about actually doing really cool, like big 
Spanish style gin and tonics, you guys always have like the best gin and tonics. And you know, oh, thank to, you. to me, it's like I always say that a gin and tonic should never be just gin and tonic, and you guys definitely abide by that rule. You know, um, the bar staff's always been really cool when I go in there. You always, yeah, there's always some sort of weird like amaro that I've never seen before, and I, I like to feel like I'm pretty on top of that game. Um, but I think a lot of it's due to different distribution channels, maybe, and we just don't get it here. Um, but yeah. there's some you got you've got some really cool stuff behind that bar. And the food, Thank you. the food's great, and the cocktails are amazing. Um, Thank you. Yeah, just really, you're really crushing it, dude. You've got a, you, like all the spots are are amazing. It makes me want to go back to DC. In fact, I was supposed to go this week, and I, I had too many meetings and too much work to do, and it really bummed me out because because uh, I was hoping to come down and have gin and tonics, maybe a gin and tonic with banana in it, even. We'll, we'll get there. We'll okay. get there. <laughs> so, uh, can you give us the uh, the contact information or the websites for the spots, or is there? Do you have like one parent one that you can check out all the places with? Uh, no, uh, so it's it's two birds one stone dc dot com. Uh, the number two and the number one. Okay. Uh, it's it's proofdc dot uh, com. Proofdc dot com. Mm-hmm. It's a stadio. Uh, hyphen dc.com <laughs> threw it in a curveball yeah i think there was uh i'm trying to remember why that I don't, if there's a if there's another stadio dc or some reason <laughs> and then uh the last one is doymoydc.com uh cool. no hyphen cool yeah, yeah. I, I love all the places i like the, i definitely try to hit up as many of them as i can when i'm there and uh hopefully next time i'll get to hang out with you again and uh enjoy some we did have some. I now I'm remembering we did have some Barolo Quinado cocktails when when I was there last time. So you're, you're basically all my favorite ingredients. You're using them, so <laughs> that's pretty awesome. I'm sorry. I said you're basically using all my favorite ingredients. So I'm, I'm pretty pretty psyched to come back down and see you. Um, that's it for the show today, Adam. I'm really happy that we can make the time to get you on the radio. Hopefully, we can get you up in the studio in New York City next time. Well, thanks for having me. All right, cool, man. I'll see you soon, and thanks for being on the show today. Well, that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Tune in to HeritageRadioNetwork.org for many programs like this one. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>